Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. We had an interruption in our service and uh, the Holy Ghost showed up, so we just went ahead and let him take the service over. And, uh, and we always yield when he comes. And, uh, and so, but if you have your copy of God's Word, put, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and... Uh, we use that that as a uh, this is our anchor text and uh, and I'm teaching on um, the under understanding the fivefold ministry and uh, you know before I've decided to teach this I I've taken several weeks uh, leading up to uh, being ready to teach this and I really have dug into the word and uh, because I think this is something that that's extremely needed in the body of Christ. Is to have an understanding of fivefold ministry. It's not preached. It's not taught, uh, and especially in uh, full gospel circles, um, it's not taught a lot. And we have a limited understanding of the of what the uh, the apostolic, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, teacher, and evangelist are, and what their roles are, and how they operate in in ministry and in the hour we live in. But hopefully, when we get through this series, you'll have an understanding, a little bit of what each of, of these ministry gifts uh, are. And the Bible tells us that these are the gifts that were left by Jesus. These are the gifts that Jesus has given um, to the church. And the scripture tells us uh, in Ephesians uh, 4, let's read Ephesians 4.11. It says, and he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. And if you go on to read there, we won't go on to read, it tells that they were given for the equipping of the body um, and the saints and, and, the, and the equipping of the saints till until we come to the place of maturity or the place of fullness in Christ. Well, you and I know this, that we will not reach the place of fullness in Christ until Jesus comes back. <laughs> until we won't be fully Christ-like until he comes and we are changed into his image. And so when we see him, we shall be as he is, the scripture tells us. And so, um, so what's that tell us? That tells us that the fivefold ministry gifts were given by Christ to the church. There wasn't an expiration date on them. Uh, there wasn't a limited time. There wasn't just a short season that the ministry gifts were given to the church. It says till, till there's till the maturity. Matter of fact, I'll just read it to you. Uh, it's in verse 13. It says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now, perfect it means mature or, or full to the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. In other words, what it's saying, until we com completely become Christ-like. And so we know when that happens, at the return of the Lord. And so the ministry gifts have been taught that, uh, two of the ministry gifts uh, have been taught that they've died out, that they, when the apostles died, that those ministry gifts died. But according to this scripture and the word of God, it tells us, that these ministry gifts remain until we reach the fullness of Christ. And that's not a hard interpretation, y'all. There's, there's not a lot of deep Greek or deep uh, 
exegesis that goes into that. That's the simplicity of the gospel. And so we're thankful for the ministry gifts. But, um, and so if you would turn over to, uh, we've looked at our anchor verse in Ephesians 4.11. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read another passage of scripture where we'll be tonight. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and beginning in verse 12. And we're going to talk tonight about the ministry of the apostle, the ministry of the apostolic. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about, I gave you definition, a definition of what an apostle is and the definitions of that and laid that out. Well, tonight we're going to talk more about what the ministry of the apostle is. And so in verse 12 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, it says, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance. Some translations say patience, right? All perseverance and signs and wonders, mighty deeds and mighty deeds. And so here is listed the signs of the gifting of the apostolic or the apostle. These are the signs that follow the apostle. And so we're going to look at that tonight here in just a moment. But I wanted to start off because, you know, the apostolic is not talked about much. But um, when you talk about the apostolic, it's interesting. I've been recently kind of caught up in collecting um, pieces of armor, Roman armor. And, uh, And so anytime I get extra money or whatever... I buy a piece of, of Roman armor, and I just purchased me a loin belt or a Roman uh, girdle or loin belt, and uh, this is it. I just got it, and this is a replica of what the Roman Romans would wear, and this is what we call, uh, when we read the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 and 14, gird up your loins with the belt of truth is what it says, and this is the, uh, the belt of truth. And it's, it's very significant. It's, it's interesting because uh, even in this belt, this represents the written word of God. It's the belt of truth. It represents the logos, the written word of God. Uh, it, and, and how many know that it's, it's the loin belt? It's the center of the soldier. It is, the, it is to be the center of the soldier. How many know the word of God should be the center of our life? And the written word is the center of our life. But what's interesting is the loin belt, it attached the other pieces of armor. The sword attached to the loin belt. The uh, the smaller shield was attached to the loin belt. The breastplate was attached uh, to the loin belt. You see these hooks here. These were were hooks that straps that connected to the breastplate. And, uh, And so every piece of armor was pretty much attached to the loin belt. But what's interesting is you notice that on the front of the loin belt, there's five straps there. And they, and they drape down and they go around and they protected the groin of the soldier. And, uh, and so there's five. Isn't it interesting that there's five? And the five represent the five ministry gifts. Um, represent the fivefold ministry. The apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor. Uh, and that's what they represent. Why? Why is that? Well, because it protected, it, re, it protected the reproductive area of the soldier. And what the ministry gifts do is that they, they protect the fruitfulness of the church. Uh, the ministry gifts are given for the fruitfulness of the church. 
and they, and they protect the fruitfulness of the church and, uh, and the ministry gifts. There's five of them that protect uh, the reproductive areas of the soldier. And it was important. This loin belt was the center, and it represents uh, you know, the truth of God, the word of God, but attached to the loin belt is the sword. And the Bible, and, and, and the, uh, uh, it tells us to take up what? The sword of the what? It's the sword of the Spirit, right? So this also, this is called a Gaius. It's a Roman, it's a Roman dagger. It's, it's, it's a replica of what the Roman soldiers would carry uh, into battle. And, uh, um, and it would hook onto the uh, loin belt as well as a small shield. And so it's called the sword of the spirit because the loin belt represents the written word, but the sword of the spirit represents the uh, rhema word. And, uh, and a rhema word is a word that is given in a season, or particular hour, or season for that moment. And so that's why it's called the sword of the spirit because the spirit is what releases the rhema word. Y'all with me? And so we have the written word, which is where truth lies, but also we carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the, which is the rhema word, and, uh, and the rhema word is what's given to us in, in a certain season. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I have had a rhema word given to me in my life, and it was given in a season when I needed that word in my life. It was particularly uh, targeted for that season and that moment in my life. And so, even in, even in Paul's description of the armor of God, of dressing ourselves and putting on the armor of God, the fivefold ministry is represented even in that because all of truth comes out of, all of, all of truth comes out of the loin belt. It represents all of truth. And so everything that is used for battle, it's connected to it. And so the sword of the Spirit, everything that's connected to the loin belt, uh, truth, where does the enemy try to attack us? He, with lies, right? And so he attacks truth first. Did you know that enemy soldiers in combat, um, they would, uh, one of the targets that they would go for would be the stomach and the growing, because those were the most vulnerable areas in battle. And so uh, enemy, the enemy would try to either cut arteries in the thighs or in the groin uh, and, 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 and kill and destroy, or they would go for the stomach area or the throat area. And so, so it's important that the enemy attacks, he attacks us with lies, but we carry truth we, as the center of our lives so that we can combat uh, the allies of the enemy. But I just wanted to take a moment and show that to you because I thought that that was pertinent in understanding that even in the, even in the dressing of the armor of God, we have the representation of the apostolic and the fivefold ministry uh, that is represented there. And so tonight I want to talk a little bit about uh, the ministry of the apostle and that importance. And so... Um, Understanding fivefold ministry, um, are there apostles today? That's the question. Are there apostles today? Um, and how do they differ from the 12 apostles 
in the first century? How are they, how are they different? I mean, is there, a, is there a difference? And what is the role today? What is the role of the apostolic today and the apostle today? What role do they play in the church today? And how are we to receive them? And how are they um, done? So we're going to continue to look at the ministry of the apostle. I just want to take a minute and review just a minute of what we talked about two weeks ago in laying the foundation, and then we'll get right into it. But if you'll remember, um, we saw in the first teaching um, that the word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, uh, A-P-O-S-T-O-L-O-S, apostolos. Apostolos is a compound Greek word. It comes from, it's a Greek word from the word apo, A-P-O, which means a way, and the word stello, which means, which is the meaning I send, to send away. And so when you take the compound words, the two words, and you, and you form a word, it's apostolos, meaning one who is sent away. It's a representation of a messenger, an envoy, or a represent, representation of a delegate, someone who becomes a, deli, a delegate that represents someone. It is one commissioned by another to represent him in some way. In the New Testament, it depicts a minister sent by Jesus Christ or by the church. And, uh, and of course, the word translate, apostelos, translates into the word apostle. So in the New Testament, it's a picture of someone who is being sent by the church and by Christ himself, sent by Jesus Christ or by the church. A great example of that in Acts chapter, I believe it's Acts 13, when the, when the Holy Spirit says, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry. They were being sent out by the church at Antioch. They were being sent. And the Holy Spirit, um, you know, uh, tagged them and sent them out. So they were being sent out as a representative of Christ in the church. And so that's what the word apostolos means. It means apostle. But the word, the second part of that word, stelos, stelo, um, comes from a root word, um, which is stolos. And the word stolos is, is a word that means a military expedition, a campaign, or a tour. It pictures armed forces such as an army or navy or a military entourage. Thus, apostolic ministry is frontline ministry, like a military expedition that ventures into new territory. Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. New territory to crush the enemy. Uh, apostles are highly trained individuals sent with God's power to crush the enemy and to take new territory for the kingdom. And that's what the word means. It means someone who is sent out, someone uh, that is sent out as though they're being sent on a military expedition. That they're going into an area and they're beginning to conquer that area and defeat the enemy in that area and set up a new territory. That's the, that's the anointing that is on the apostolic or the apostle. They're, they're sent to crush the enemy and to take new territory for the kingdom of God. And that's what the apostolic does. And we'll get into that a little more. The word apostolos appears 79 times in the New Testament. And the word apostello, uh, which is the derivative, shows up 131 times in the New Testament and 700 times 
in the Old Testament Greek version, the Septuagint in the Old. So remember me telling you a couple of weeks ago that understanding a Greek word, really we have a better understanding of it the more times it's used in Scripture. And so this word apostle, apostolos, apostello, it's used hundreds of times throughout the Scripture. So we have a deep meaning of its meaning. And so it is a, it is a word that uh, in terms of uh, uh, someone who's being elected or selected and commissioned, that's sent on an assignment on behalf of a very powerful government or individual. This person was merely sent off and empowered, invested with authority, and dispatched to accomplish a special task. New Testament apostles were powerful. And uh, uh, the apostolic gift is very powerful today in the New Testament. And uh, we, we at times run in and are able to be around that gift of the apostolic. And we see the anointing and power that is on their life. And it's very evident in their life. And remember I told you two weeks ago that the, the New Testament ears, the first century world, when it heard the word apostolos or the word apostle, it had a meaning in their ear that's different than today. We think of it in association with the church as the definitions I just gave, being sent out by the church, representative of Christ. But there were several meanings in the New Testament the first century, and we talked about that. One was the admiral of a fleet of ships. Uh, the word also meant a passport or a document that guaranteed the right of passage, uh, which, is, which, is, which is powerful. And then there's the, the word means ambassador, who represents another country. It was also used as a person that was gifted by God uh, or what they would say in those days, gifted by the gods to send special messages. So an apostle of Jesus Christ was supernaturally gifted by God himself with insights and abilities to establish uh, the church and new territories and take believers to places spiritually that they could probably never go to on their own. What believers in the first century heard, the word apostle, the Greek word apostolos, they understood all these things. And so, you know, the apostles in the first century, when they were sent out, that's what they were sent to do. They were sent to take new territory for the kingdom of God. They were sent into regions to preach the gospel, to establish the church. And if you notice on Paul's missionary journeys, pretty much everywhere the apostle Paul went, he established the church. He established a group of believers there. He established a network of believers there. And there were times that it took longer uh, than, than sometimes, in some er time periods it took longer because, you know, you had, you, had, you had to fight for the territory spiritually. Paul was running into demonic opposition. There was idol worship. There was, there was uh, you know, the Romans... You know, worship many different gods. There were there there was these spiritual battles that took place, and so when the apostle Paul went into these regions, he didn't just go into them. He went in there to set up the 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 church and to take new territory. And we'll talk about how he did some of that in just a moment. And so, um, but when we look at Scripture, we notice the first apostle was Jesus Himself. 
In fact, Jesus operated in all five-fold ministry gifts. Jesus operated in all five-fold ministry gifts. He was an apostle. He was a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher. And we'll look at each one of those as we go through uh, this teaching. Uh, he, is, he is a perfect example of all five offices regarding the role of the apostle. You say, well, how do we know Jesus was an apostle? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, this is what it says. And you can mark these scriptures down. And, you know, write these down. Go back and look at them. Because what, what we're doing, what I'm doing here is I'm teaching you some apologetics. Because, let me just say this. We live in an area, in a region, that is full of cessationism. You know what I mean by that? They're cessationists. They don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. They don't believe in the apostolic and the prophetic and the effects that it has in a life. And they don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the, the power gifts and the, and, the, and, the, and the you know workings of miracles. And they struggle with these things. And so when we're teaching this and I give you scriptures, these are things that you can hold on to and you can use them as points of apologetics in your life. Because... What we have to do is, is we have to take new territory when it comes to these things. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I mean, because people are, not, people are not used to the moving of the Holy Spirit in this area. They have a struggle with, with the power of God being poured out in people's lives. They question it because they've been told so long that the power of God has diminished away and that there is no demonstration of power. But I'm here to tell you, somebody in this region and somebody in this area has got to teach it, preach it, and allow God to demonstrate it so we can break off the stronghold that is in this region. Because I'm just here to tell you, doubt and unbelief is all over here. I mean, weekly, I'll just tell you, can I just be real for a second? Weekly, we have people coming to this church and when they begin to see people fall out in the spirit or begin to speak with other tongues, they leave. Do they leave because we're mean or bad? No. Because in their mind, there's a stronghold that has told them that God doesn't operate that way anymore. Well, I'm here to tell you they got to me too late. <laughs> and, and the reality is that when God puts his finger on your life, there's immediate transformation through the power of God. But we have to break that in this region. We have to break that in this area. And, uh, and so that was just a little side note. That was for free. But Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. And you, you don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's not weird. You know what I mean? He's not weird. Now I know some people that are weird. <laughs> and, and you know, you need to stay away from them. Because they are weird. But the Holy Ghost is not weird. He's a gentleman. And the Spirit of God is gentle. And the Spirit of God brings forth truth. And so, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, this is what it says. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. He was the first, Jesus was the first apostle, and then he 12, chose 12 others uh, to come alongside him as apostles and to launch his earthly ministry. 
And these men are what is what I call foundational apostles. They're foundational apostles. There were 12 of them. There were no more than that. They were foundational apostles. They were called by Jesus into the ministry. They, were to, they, they had a specific role in a specific season. And so when we look at that, we see who they were. Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 through 4. And, and I'm going to name them for you. And now the names of the 12, the Bible says, apostles are these. There's Peter, Andrew, his brother James, uh, Andrew, his brother, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, um, uh, Thaddeus, Simon, uh, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him, as the scripture says. These were these these are the twelve of Jesus' closest foundational apostles uh, who started their ministry with Jesus. They witnessed Jesus's. They were, in order to be apostle, they had to, there had to be two experiences in their life. Number one, they, they, had to be, they had to have seen the ministry of Jesus himself. They had to see his ministry itself. And secondly, they had to witness his resurrection. And so in order to be one of the twelve, they had to witness his ministry, see him, and then be an eyewitness of the resurrection. That was the foundational problem. The other apostles were selected. There was another apostle that was selected after Judas Iscariot. Uh, we know Matthias. Um, he also fit the qualifications um, for a foundational prophet. It was a special group to which no one else will ever be added to. They were witnesses of Jesus' ministry and his resurrection. And, and they, were, they were called for a specific reason. We'll talk about that in just a second. But in addition to the 12, we read in Scripture and in the New Testament about other apostles. The word apostle is used in a broader sense. Uh, there are other apostles that are specifically named in the New Testament. Let me give you some of them, and I'll give you Scripture reference. Uh, there's, of course, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's kind of in between the foundational prophets and the uh, apostles and apostles that are called later. But the Apostle Paul... Many places in Scripture, uh, Paul is identified as, as an apostle. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2. Um, there's Apollos, 1 Corinthians 4. There's uh, uh, Apoditus. Um, his name means, uh, a, uh, he's called an apolo, uh, apostle. Uh, Apostolos is translated as a messenger in Philippians 2.25. There's James, the brother of Jesus, Galatians 1.19, who is called an apostle later on. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, the scripture tells us that he wasn't even converted until after the resurrection. That he was Jesus' brother, and he didn't believe Jesus as the Messiah until after Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. And I believe that's in 1 Corinthians, uh, his conversion. There's Barnabas, Acts 14. Verse 4 and 14, there's uh, 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 Adronicus, uh, Romans 16, 7, and his wife, uh, Juna. Both of them are called apostles. Listen to me. Now, I'm, I'm moving. I'm, I'm moving into that territory. And uh, she was, 
Both him and his wife were called apostles. They both were called apostles. And I I feel the pushback. You know, really, are women supposed to be apostles? I'm here to tell you the scripture says, Romans 16, 7, read it yourself. It's in the word. Women are apostles. Women can operate in the apostolic gift. Now, now, every traditionalist just blew their head right now. You know, and fiery darts, you know, <laughs> if, if people had arrows, if some people heard this, arrows would be flying right now. But, um, but Juno was the wife of, of Adronicus, and they were apostles. And the scripture says Titus was an apostle. The word apostolos, which means a messenger, 2 Corinthians 8. There are two unnamed apostles in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 18 and verse 22. They're two unnamed brothers. Uh, We don't have their names. They were just traveling with Titus, but they were called apostles. Then there's Timothy in 1 Thessalonians 1.1 and 1 Thessalonians 2.6. And then there is Silas, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.1 and 2.6. And so, although none of these people were foundational apostles, they did nevertheless function in the office of an apostle according to Scripture. Um, and with this exception of the Apostle Paul and James, um, the foundational uh, prophets, uh, prophets, apostles were unique in this, in this way. They established the church universally. This is the difference between the foundational apostles and the apostles that are mentioned later. The foundational apostles, they established the church universally and were the only ones anointed by God to write Scripture. Okay? Now, the Apostle Paul wrote Scripture, but some could consider him as a foundational apostle because he did have a vision of Jesus, and he did was taught by Jesus himself. The Scripture tells us that uh, for three years he was taken to the backside of Arabia, and, and the Apostle Paul was taught by Jesus himself. So I would classify him, and he did see the resurrected Savior. It's what knocked him off the horse in Acts 9. In his conversion. So he had a vision of Jesus. He saw Jesus. He was trained by Jesus. And so the foundational apostles established the church universally. They were the only ones uh, anointed by God to write scripture, which included uh, the non negotiable tenets of the Christian faith. In their books, uh, when the apostles wrote their books, they laid out foundation, they laid out the tenets of the Christian faith that we see that are written in Scripture. Even James, this brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James. There is not a better book in the Bible that you could read that talks about practical living better than the book of James. That's what the book of James is. It's about practical living, how we behave. If you you have trouble behaving as a Christian, you need to read the book of James. It's a powerful book. It's a very convicting book. Because it talks about the tongue. It talks about uh, the flesh. It talks about uh, our attitudes. It talks, about, uh, it talks about the disciplines of our life. It's an incredible book. And so, uh, but it establishes that, that non-negotiable tenets of the Christian faith. And so, and so they also had a role that no one else ever had. And so... Um, that's the foundational prophets. One, they established the church. Two, they were anointed by God to write scripture. 
And three, they were anointed by God to establish Christian doctrine or the doctrine of the Word of God. So by the end of the first century, there were so... Here's what's interesting. It's kind of like today. And um, I don't know about you all, but, you know, I, I told you two weeks ago that I, I, I get a Christian magazine, and in the magazine is all kinds of upcoming conferences and events and all those things that are happening. But as I turn the page, Liz, and I look at all of these conferences, every one of them has apostle and prophet at every one of them. I mean, there's probably three or 400 apostles and prophets that are in these magazines that are going to be at conferences. In other words, everybody's an apostle. Everybody's a prophet, right? Everybody takes that title. And we're going to talk about that tonight and what distinguishes that. And so everybody has a title. Everybody wants a title. And so everybody wants to be a prophet. Everybody wants to be a prophetess or a prophet or apostle. But by the end of the first century, what had happened, there were so many people claiming to be apostles, it was creating a problem. So turn over to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2. And Jesus is dealing with this in one of the churches of Revelation. In uh, Revelation 2 and verse 2, it tells us, it tells us this. I know your works, and this is talking about the church at Ephesus, which represents the first century church. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you, can, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have founded them, and has founded them to be liars. So the first century church, we know here in, in Revelation 2, Jesus is speaking of the church at Ephesus which represents the uh, first century church. Now remember, they had everything in order, but they had lost what? They had lost their first love. But they are commended by Jesus because they, they, would, they set up these tribunals that would test the, um, that would try the claims of these people who said they were apostles. Uh, they were claiming to be apostolic. They were apostles. And it indicated that they would set these tribunals up and they would test those who claimed to be apostles. And Jesus said that you tried them and found them um, and was able to find out whether or not they were. And, uh, you know, sometimes people have callings on their life, and I told you this two weeks ago, that just because somebody leads something in an area of Christian uh, life doesn't mean that they're an apostle. Just because they have a gifting a strong gifting in some area. They may have a gifting in finance. Uh, and as I told you two weeks ago, there's no such thing as an apostle of finance. <laughs> there's no such thing as an apostle of discipleship. You know, these things are, these, you know, these are not scripturally sound in their teaching. And so, but they could be people that are highly gifted and pioneers in, in their field of gifting. You know, it doesn't make them an apostle, but it puts them on the cutting edge of ministry, but it doesn't make them a genuine apostle. And so the Ephesus had set up these tribunals to test to see if they were real or not. But here's what's interesting. According to the Bible, the function of the New Testament apostle includes those of the original group of 12 were selected by Jesus and sent to lay the foundation of the universal church to establish the apostolic doctrine. Paul would definitely be uh, an exception to this. 
as he both wrote scripture and started churches and, and set doctrine. Um, but let's talk about the apostle in the broader sense, outside of the twelve. Um, includes including apostles today. Uh, are called to establish churches, right, in conjunction with the other fivefold gifts. The prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. They are also to undergird, to undergird the apostolic doctrines that were established by the original twelve. No one, apostles today are not writing new doctrines. We are supporting and dispersing what has already been written. Right? So we don't have apostles today that are setting new standards for the church or coming up with new doctrines. There's always, we always, we always embrace revelation. When someone has revelation, our God gives them insight into the body of Christ. But nobody's writing new doctrines. Apostles don't write new doctrines. The apostles today, those that are gifted in the apostolic today, um, uh, they are they uphold what doctrines have already been established, and then the other gift ministry gifts undergird that apostolic anointing and ministry, and they and they undergird that, and so it it brings a balance to the church. No one is writing new doctrines. We are supporting and dispensing what we've all what is already been written. Now, here's what um, is interesting. Now, I pastored in a denomination that did not believe in the apostle prophet. They did. They believed the apostle prophet had died out. I pastored many years in that denomination. But just because you say it doesn't exist doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Uh, sometimes we just call it other things. Because I've I met men and women uh, in that denomination that was that were so-called, you could say they were missionaries. Their title was a missionary, but really their gifting was apostolic. They were true apostles. They were apostolic. And uh, I knew men that I was close to that was in our denomination that had started many churches, many churches. I had a pastor friend. He was an older gentleman. His name was O.P. Stokes. And... Uh, OP, we loved OP. He was an older man. But OP had started over 70 churches in, in just in the region where we lived. And he had, the, he had a fathering anointing. And uh, he would take young preachers under his wing. And he would bring them to his church. And he would let them preach. And he would, he would love on them. And there was this apostolic anointing that was on him. He, he had an apostolic gift. He impacted a region. He had the ability to change a region, and he had a huge impact in that denomination. And winning people to Jesus, he had a huge impact on people's lives. But he wasn't called an apostle. But in the broader sense, there was an apostolic anointing that was on his life. And it was recognizable. You could see it. And so it, it was interesting. Now, let's take a second and turn with me over to the scripture I read to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. I want to look at this because we're going to talk a little bit about the criteria for apostleship. Now, I hope I'm not boring you tonight. I'm not trying to bore you, but I'm trying to get this in your spirit because the truth is 
Well, I'll, I'll save it towards the end. But we have encountered many apostolic anointings that have come through this church. And so you may have recognized some of them. And uh, uh, there's been many of them that have stood in this pulpit. And, and, and here, here's what's interesting. They, they come in and they're in our region for a short time. And all of a sudden, before they leave, God gives them some type, some type of insight into our area or into our region. It happens all the time. And uh, uh, matter of fact, I remember about four years ago, I think it was about four years ago, y'all helped me with the dates and times, but we had a, a pastor in here uh, who has started close to 400 churches. And he, he pastors, he's an Assembly of God pastor. He has a church in Hawaii, uh, which, like, who wouldn't want a pastor in Hawaii? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but his name is Dr. Morocco. And I don't know if y'all remember Dr. Morocco coming. And, uh, but Dr. Morocco uh, started many churches. That's John Harkey's pastor. And uh, Dr. Morocco has an incredible gift, uh, apostolic gift on his life. I remember when he came to town, I remember driving him through Madison when we just arrived here. And he was staying at the Clifty Inn driving through. And as we drove through Hanover and drove here through town, he asked me a few questions but I remember Dr. Morocco saying, all of a sudden he got this revelation about our region. And, uh, and I just remember him voicing that and recognizing that. I mean, it wasn't nothing that you had to drum up. Apostolic men see things and know things. They, they know when they go into a territory, they sense spirits that are in a territory. They know what needs to be done to take the region because they spent their lives going from city to city, establishing churches and dealing with devils and demons and unbelief and all the things that come against the body of Christ in these regions. And so when they go into a city, they can feel what's in that city and they can address it. And so that's what the apostolic does. Some of it we knew and some of it, you know, can be revelation to us. But the apostle gives the strategy to overcome that. To take that on and how to overcome, overcome that. And, uh, and so um, it's, it's, it's incredibly encouraging. But let's talk about the criteria of the apostolic or the apostle. Although Paul, the apostle Paul was not a member of the original 12, he clearly was an apostle. And having written half of the New Testament and, and founding countless churches across the known world in the first century, it seems he was in the category that all by himself... Though through him the Holy Spirit established and, and a criteria for true apostles. He truly was a man that God used to help establish what true apostles were. So what are the signs of a true apostle? What are, what are the signs of a true apostle? Number one, let's look at it. And this is interesting. Number one, an apostle is one who has seen the Lord. Alright? An apostle is one who has seen the Lord. In the first... In, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said this, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And not uh, ye, are ye not the, my work in the Lord? Foundational apostles had certainly seen the Lord with their own eyes. Similarly, the Apostle Paul saw the Lord, uh, but it was in a vision while he was on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, 1 through 6. 
But like Paul, other apostles also had visions of Christ in this church. The only way Paul was able to construct the church was to have his eyes to have his eyes supernaturally open to see it, to see the church. This is what an apostle is. An apostle is the ability that has the ability and vision to see Christ and to see his church. But not only to see Christ in his church, but to but to construct the church. In other words, the apostolic has the ability to come in and look at the church, and he has ability to, to see what need a vision of Jesus and a vision to how to construct the body or how to construct the church, just like I gave you the example of Dr. Morocco. Burning vision. There is the apostolic will carry a burning vision. They can't go anywhere without seeing God doing something or see the vision of the church in that region or see the vision of the church in, in that area. I, um, I was with Brother Keith in, in, uh, in Texas a few years ago, and um, we, were, we were going through uh, a place in Texas. It was called, um, uh, hang on a second, Rockwall, Texas. Anybody ever heard of Rockwall, Texas? And we were driving through Rockwall, Texas, and uh, Brother Keith is talking. He said, you know, I've known a lot of pastors in this area. In Rockwell, I said, you have? He said, yeah. He said, but every one of them that I've known had a moral failure here. He says, there's a spirit of immorality in this city. And he said, every, every pastor I've known that pastored here uh, has had a moral failure. And uh, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of, uh, of uh, Larry Lee. Anybody heard of Larry Lee? Y'all remember a few years ago they came out? Uh, he came out with a great teaching. It was called, Could You Not Tarry With Me For An Hour? And it was a series of teachings and tapes. And, Le and Larry Lee was a credible pastor. He was in Rockwell, Texas. He built a great church there. He took his father-in-law's church, built a great church there, and uh, had a huge impact on the region. But he had a moral failure and lost his ministry. And, uh, but I remember Brother Keith saying that. And so where we were going, we were going to visit a, uh, a man in the hospital um, who, was, uh, who had been a part of Bible translators and was a, was a Bible college teacher in Costa Mesa that Cluddy had known. And, and when we walked in and started talking to him, uh, he started talking about the area in the region. He said, Cluddy, do you know that immorality in this region has gone crazy? That's what he said. And I'm thinking they're going, man, that's, that's, I mean, that's not by accident. What God is showing me is that the apostolic, the apostle has the ability to go into a region and construct and see the need of the church in that area and that region. That's why when we have people come through here, men who have apostolic gifts, we need to listen to what they're preaching. They're giving a strategy and key to taking the city because they will see and know things that, the, that some won't see. And so uh, they see what Christ and what the church is supposed to be, the vision of the church. What the vision, so what do they see? Uh, they see the Lord. They see Christ in the city. They see apostolically. And, and that is a gift that is in men today. I mean, I see it time and time again. And if you'll pay attention, 
and you get around apostolic people, you will know that that, that, that is, you know, that is, that, is, uh, that is right. Now, I wasn't there, but uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Dave Dowie, who passed away, my friend Dave, who passed away a couple of months ago, he was with Brother Keith, and they were in uh, Mexico. They were in Mexico City. And they were there during a festival that, uh, that they hold in Mexico City called the Day of the Dead. And I think it's a right around Halloween. And here's what they do. They go and they get the remains of their loved ones. And they parade through the streets of Mexico City. Now, how would you like to go to that party? <laughs> Let's go dig up Grandma and drag her through downtown New Mexico City. I bet that's a treat. And, uh, and, so, and so Pastor Dave and Brother Keith was walking. They were walking down the street. And Brother Keith happened to see these group of, of uh, Mexican boys that were across the street. They were gathered at a storefront. And, and Pastor Keith says to Dave Dowie, he says, those boys are full of demons. Just like that. That's all he said. And so when they walked past them, they looked over at them, and all of them went, and started growling and, and doing all that. And he was like, see, I told you. <laughs> you know, I mean, you will, the apostolic gift will stir up the devil. He will stir up the devil. Number two, um, in verse, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and um, verse uh, verse 12, it says this, Truly the sign of an apostle, apostles were accomplished among you with all perseverance. So the criteria and the sign of an apostle is their patience or their perseverance. That is the sign of the apostolic gift in an apostle. Um, and so truly the sign of apostle was wrought unto you uh, through their patience. Now, who would think that, that Paul would list here that the sign of an apostle would be patience? Think about that for a moment. I mean, that's probably the last thing I would have guessed would have been a sign of someone who carries the apostolic anointing. Although this may seem strange to uh, this list of signs, anyone that understands apostolic ministry knows that it does not take place in a comfortable conditions. The apostolic ministry is front lines ministry, a military expedition that pushes into new territory fighting against the powers of darkness. If there ever was if there ever was ever a virtue an apostle needed, it would be patience. It would be patience. The apostle look through the apostle Paul. He'd go into cities and he would be there 18 months, 12 months. There was a perseverance that he would have. He'd be beaten, attacked, ridiculed by religious spirits and, and all these things. But the Apostle Paul, kept, he kept that perseverance. He kept that patience. And so it's interesting, the word patience. Um, the word patience in the Greek comes from the Greek word hupomain. Uh, 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 it means to stay or abide, to remain in one spot, to keep position, to resolve, to maintain territory gained. In a military sense, it pictures a soldier who maintains their position even in the face of opposition. It depicts one that defiantly sticks out regardless 
of pressure mounting against it. It can also be descriptive as the staying power or the hang in their power, the attitude that holds out, holds on, outlasts, perseveres, hangs in there, never gives up, refusing to surrender to obstacles, turning down every opportunity to quit. It is a picture of one who is under heavy load but refuses to bend, break, or surrender because because uh, is convinced that the territory, the promise, the principle under salt rightly belongs to them. Hallelujah. I mean, think about that for a moment. Patience to withstand opposition, to keep fighting when it can easily quit, to keep going when, when, you, when you know that you could, you know, that it'd be easy just to give it up. But the apostolic anointing, the apostolic anointing says, we're taking this territory. It doesn't belong to the enemy. It's going to belong to God. And as a soldier that stands and does not move and does not let up or does not let go, we're going to take this territory. We're going to win this thing. We're going to, we're going to overcome it. We're going to remove every obstacle. We're going to break down every stronghold that holds the area and the region And just like we talked about two weeks ago about the captain of a ship that takes a crew into an area that has never been settled before, goes in and settles the area and sets up a new kingdom and a new principle or a new way of living. And so that's what the apostolic does. That's why I have apostolic men that call me all the time and they're saying, how's things going? What's going on there? How are you doing in Madison? What's happening? And they, got, they use words like, don't give up, keep going, persevere, push through, push through it. There's going to be victory there. There's going to be revival there. There's going to be breakthrough there. God's going to allow you to blaze new territory. You're going to take the region. You're going to pull down the stronghold. Freedom is coming in the people's lives. Listen, every body, every church needs to have an apostolic covering. Right? We don't have a quote-unquote apostle, but we have apostolic covering. We have apostolic influence. And some, well, you know, apostles, you know, they're just, they just died. I'm telling you they're alive and well, and God is using the apostolic in this hour. Thank God for it, right? In other words, if you're called to be an apostle, you have to have a supernatural endurance to stay put and not abandon ship when things get tough. By putting patience first. Paul insisted that it is the one of the chief signs of, of the apostleship. Only patience and endurance can give sufficient strength to keep a person pressing forward when it seems like all hell is breaking loose. Listen, I'm going to take that a little bit further, if I may. I'm going to take the liberty, all right, in the spirit. I believe, and I'm going to teach on this coming, I believe that there are apostolic churches. I believe there are apostolic hubs. I believe churches can be apostolic hubs for a region. You know what a hub is? A hub is like for an airport, like there are certain cities that are hubs for airlines. Um, If you go to Atlanta, American Airlines, Charlotte, um, you know, Delta, Detroit, Chicago, uh, Dallas, all of these places are, are hubs for Airlines, it's where you have to go through there to get to where you're going. 
In other words, it's a stop-off place. You have to go through there in order to reach the destination that you're headed. I believe that there are apostolic churches. God raises up apostolic churches with apostolic anointings. And, and they're front-line ministries. They're ministries that go out on the front lines of a city or a region and say, we are going to establish new territory, a new way of living. There's a, there's a kingdom of God we are going to establish. Not religion, not church, but we're establishing a kingdom principle. We're going to live by kingdom, not by religion. And so we can do that. We can be an apostolic church, which leads, which leads this region in reaching the youth, reaching children, reaching and touching the areas of our city and our region. I believe that. I, I, told, I told them Sunday night in our meeting, of our, uh, in the meeting, I said that there are two things that, that, are, that are very prominent in this region. Actually, there's three. But the two main ones were that we lead the state in uh, per capita. Our region leads the state in suicide. Did you know that? I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I mean that blows my mind that our region leads the state in suicide per capita. There are more suicides per capita in our region than anywhere in the state of Indiana. So what's that tell us? That tells us that the devil is trying to take territory that doesn't belong to him. But apostolic churches look into devil's eye and say, you're not going to have our children, you're not going to have uh, our marriages, you're not going to have our homes, you're not going to have our families. Suicide is not going to be what this region is known for. We're going to tear it down. We're going to attack it. And the second thing was divorce. Did you know this is one of the highest divorce rate regions in the area, in, in the whole state of Ten in, uh, Tennessee, the whole state of Indiana? But we have, to, we have to understand that apostolic ministries, they don't just go after, look, we're not just interested in feeding people hot dogs, y'all. I mean, that's okay, and that's good, because people are hungry. But we need to do more than that. We need to learn how to get into the stronghold of this city and tear down those strongholds that have for so long taken hold of this region. But we can do that. God can anoint us to do that. But we have to be, we have to be, to, we have to hang in there. We have to be strong. We have to find strength. We have to stand even when there's opposition. Are y'all hearing me tonight? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how long that'll take, but I'm believing God to allow us to become an apostolic church. An apostolic church. The ability to speak into this region. And say, this is what the Lord, word of the Lord says. Why not? Why not? Why not take that on? But you know to do that, you're going to be in a fight. You think the devil's going to sit back and just let us waltz in and take those? No, we're going to have to fight. We've got to fight religion. We've got to fight opposition. We've got to fight uh, carnality. We've got to fight every area. We've got to be ready for it and be able to identify it. And by having apostolic influence and covering over our lives, having apostolic men and women speak into, into this ministry, we can, we can create a strategy and a plan to take the city. Because, I, I mean, why are we going to claim it if we're not going to try to do it? 
I don't know, y'all with me or not? I, you know, we can't just stay put and remain and be quiet any longer. And, and I'm just telling you, let me tell you one of the biggest things that is happening in our city right now. Some of you may not even know it. Y'all know that the LGBT community is the fastest growing community in Madison? It's the fastest growing. They're buying up buildings and properties. They're starting to be uh, infiltrate into our, 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 city, our city leadership. Let me tell you the reality of that. When I was in Seattle and CHOP, and I was walking through CHOP, um, um, I was walking with a, with a brother who pastored there not far in Bellevue, Washington, and uh, he was telling me, he said, all of that CHOP area where all of that craziness was going on was in a six-block area that where the LGBT community lived. They owned those areas. Their businesses were there. They, they lived there. Their businesses were looted. Their, their homes were burned down and, and, you know, that whole region there. But he told me this. He said, Pastor Shane, 10 years ago, this, this LGBT community now covers six blocks, six full blocks. But he said 10 years ago, it was just one apartment building where the community began to move into that area. And they began to buy businesses. They began to buy property. And now, now they absolutely control the whole Capitol Hill area of, of Seattle. And they're in the city councils. They're on the boards. They're on the, uh, you know, they're, they're in the police departments. They're in, they're in every region, the teachers, in the schools. And, and listen, they got an agenda. Let's not fool ourselves. They have an agenda. They need Jesus. They need to be delivered. And so, but we have to learn how to love them and minister to them and present Jesus to them that sets them free. And I'm here to tell you it's coming. We're going to have to deal with it in our community. But the first time they hear that there's a church that's preaching against homosexuality and, and you know, and sodomy, you know, when we used to preach on the street, uh, we didn't call them, well, I won't even go there. Homosexuality is a spirit. The act of homosexuality is sodomy. That's just called, let me tell you what God calls them. God calls them sodomites. I'm not being mean, I'm just telling you what scripture says. But the spirit of homosexuality is alive and well. And it's something we're going to have to deal with. Many of us have, have loved ones or people we know that are, that are struggling in those areas. But I'm here to tell you, an apostolic anointing or a church that has an apostolic anointing can take back and can bleed into a community and, and people can come out of that lifestyle and come out of that, that world and be delivered from it. <laughs> I believe it. I don't know if you do, but I believe it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I got to hurry, I know. Oh, man, I got to really hurry. Yeah, we got ice cream and cake to eat, y'all. Number three, I'm going to do this quickly. Number three, an apostle is one who performs signs. After patience, Paul added signs to the list of the criteria of an apostle. The word signs is, uh, is, tr is a translation of the Greek word uh, simeon. Uh, which describes a proof or miracles. Paul's ministry 
Paul's ministry and the ministry of the other apostles were marked by signs. In Lystra, uh, strength was restored to the limbs of a lame man in Acts 14. In Philippi, demons were cast out. Demon was cast out of a woman in Acts 16. Healing power was, was transferred through, through the aprons and the napkins taken from Paul's body to those that were bedridden and who, who couldn't attend the meetings because of their physical conditions in Acts 19. In Troas, a young man was raised from the dead. And in Melta, uh, the sick was healed in Acts 28. So there's signs and wonders. Um, the Apostle Paul's signs and wonders. Listen, we read in the book of Acts and we thought that the Apostle Paul just walked around and just did all of these signs. That that was his life every day. But really when you read scripture, the signs that Paul did came um, at a pivotal moment. And came in a pivotal moment in ministry when it was time, when there was a pivotal moment in ministry when new territory had to be taken. When new territory had to be established. Signs and wonders. Listen, the, the, the apostolic, the apostle, he, he, there's miracles that are a part of their life. They have the ability to lay hands on the sick and they recover. And, and listen, the apostolic anointing, I believe, can, you can go downtown or go anywhere around this region and I believe signs and wonders can follow those who operate in the apostolic. It could be a pivotal moment. All it takes is one person. All it takes is for one person to get a healing, a miraculous healing to happen. And it can set a city on fire for revival. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? That's all it takes. All it takes. All it takes is one transformation, one miracle, one sign to happen. And that apostolic anointing could, boom, blow the church up just like that. And God could, could bring an incredible transformation. Now, we've had miracles here. We've had incredible miracles here. We have incredible testimonies. Number four, an apostle is one who performs wonders. Along with signs, Paul included wonders as a proof of apostleship. Uh, the word wonder in the Greek means teres, which is, describes an event. I love this. An event that leaves one baffled, bewildered, or astonished. It depicts the shock, surprise, or the astonishment felt by a bystander who observes events that were contrary to the normal course of nature. Isn't that awesome, y'all? I mean, think about that. That's what a wonder is. A wonder is something that comes in and shocks and bewilders. And people go, oh my God, what just happened? What did God just do? It could be the shifting of weather. It could be the, it, it could be, you know, the shifting. I mean, it could be a wonder that is just, that shows up, that just puts, that just says it's an occurrence where, uh, where viewed as a miracle, people believe that they could only take place through the intervention of a divine power. It is a miracle, it is a sign, it is a wonder that something happens where people are left going, my God, only God could have done that. Y'all ever had a wonder happen in your life? Where you look back and you say, oh my God, only God could have did that. Only God could have, could have sent that through. Only God could have did that. A great example of that is in Acts chapter uh, 16. Paul and Silas are in jail, right? 
They are in the third prison. They're in the deepest hole of the prison. And all of a sudden, that apostolic gift on Paul and Silas began to sing, and that apostolic gift began to break and to begin to open that jail up. Their singing and their worship began to produce a wonder that left everyone in that jail dumbfounded. And the jailer himself didn't even know how to respond. He wanted to kill himself. And Paul said, no, we're all here. We're just showing you that the power of God is much greater than your chains and your jails and your prisons. It was a wonder that brought astonishment, awestruck, in a state of wonder. Man, I'm ready for God to do some signs and wonders. I'm ready for some signs and wonders. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I'm ready for some signs and wonders. I'm ready for God to send a glory cloud into this place and just hover over here and that it'd be, it would be visible by the eye that we would see the wonder of it. You know, you say, well, are you, are you looking for manifestations? No, I'm looking for the glory of God. I'm looking for a wonder. I'm looking for wonders that lead people that no doubt God was here and that he showed up and that he was here. Woo! Come on, Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Y'all getting me all riled up. I won't even be able to eat cake and ice cream. Number five, and finally, the, the apostle is one that performs mighty deeds. In addition to signs and wonders, uh, Paul stated mighty. Now, I love this word mighty deeds because it comes from the Greek word dunamis. And we all know what dunamis is. It is the raw power of God. It describes an explosive superhuman power that comes from enormous energy and produces a phenomenal, uh, extraordinary, unparalleled result. It can also depict a full force of an invading army. It's like it, it's the it, depiction of the Spirit of God comes in and just takes over. Right? Just the Spirit of God flows. You know what I mean? I mean... We experienced that two Saturdays ago with Nathan on that Saturday night. I'm telling you, that was, that was, I mean, that was, mighty deeds were happening in the house. Signs and wonders and miracles were going on. Matter of fact, Scott Boddicker uh, messaged me and said that the, the man, listen y'all, this is amazing. Y'all remember the man that was sitting in the back that had the colostomy and had the kidney issue? He was on the kidney transplant list. He contacted Nathan's ministry. Guess what? Just last week, he had his colostomy reversed because his kidneys. Isn't that amazing? I mean, hallelujah. On a transplant list, and God heals him. He walks out of here and goes to the restroom, and he says, Pastor, I'm not being gross, but for the first time, my urine didn't smell. I didn't have a gross you know, experience. And here now, God, now he's, he's, his colostomy is getting reversed. They're doing tests to make sure to see if he even needs to be on the transplant list. Man, come on, y'all. I mean, what a wonder from God. I mean, what a wonder from God. I mean, mighty deeds, mighty deeds were flowing through this house. That's what the Spirit of God was. And I'll never forget when Nathan said after service, he said, I've not felt the rising of the Holy Spirit like that since the Bay Revival. And 
He said it was just like at the bay. He said it could go for hours and it would feel like 10 minutes. You know? I mean, we left here at 11 (laughs) o'clock. Some of us. (laughs) I mean, you say, well, what's that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that apostolically God is preparing us for greater things. He's preparing us for greater, greater things. Mighty deeds. Although many people think Paul and the other apostles experienced nonstop flow of miracles and activities, this was not always the case. A careful study of Paul's ministry, for instance, reveals that he had signs and wonders in his ministry at pivotal moments, specifically the supernatural demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to close by saying this. Pastor Adam, if you'll come. I want to close by saying this. Establishing, the apostles established churches. They stay putted. They, they colonized new territories. And, you know, they went into areas and they replicated the kingdom of God. They brought life. They changed the life in that region, the language, the culture of the church. Not only the culture of a region, but sometimes the culture of the church needs to be changed. The apostolic anointing needs to break the culture of the church because religion can come in and take over and establish itself. And that culture needs to be changed. There needs to be a liberty and a freedom that comes through it. And so the culture needs to change. And so the 12 apostles, foundational apostles, But here's what's happening. The apostolic, the apostles of today, they establish churches, they defend doctrine and scripture that is already there. And so, and apostles will be in the church until the fullness of of Christ comes. Stand with me if you would tonight. I'm telling you, I'm just prophesying this. I I don't, I'm praying and I'm believing. I really believe the Lord is setting this in my spirit. I believe God wants to put us on a track to be an apostolic ministry and an apostolic church. I mean, I believe that's what God's calling us to do. And uh, I'm a pastor. I'm not an apostle. Don't claim to be. But I'm here to tell you, we can be an apostolic church. We can be an apostolic church. And um, we we can speak into this community. We can establish. We can blaze new territories and inroads and colonize and speak the language of faith. Not doubt, not doom and gloom. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I mean, don't y'all think there's enough of that in the world? (laughs) There's enough doom and gloom in the world. We know Jesus is coming. And we know that when he comes and after he comes, it's going to get bad. But while we're here, until he comes, while we're here, we might as well just take over. 
We might as well just go ahead and establish what we can establish and do what we can do and change the lives that we can change. You know what? Even if we have to change them one, one person at a time. One person at a time. Right? One single mom. One drug addict. One drunkard. One drug dealer. <laughs> right? One at a time. <laughs> one at a time. Thank you, Jesus. Will you all pray into that with me? Will you all pray into that, that God would show us how to do that and establish that? It's like, like on Sunday when the lepers that left and said, why do we sit here? We can remain here and die or we can go by faith. And they went and they went into the camp of the enemy and they got all the spoils. But their conscience got to them. They said, how right is it for us to sit here with all of this blessing and not share it? That's the question for us tonight. What right do we have to sit here with everything we have access to? To sit here and not share with the rest of the world what God has put in us and given us. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? I mean, we can be an apostolic ministry. And I'm believing God for that. I'm believing God for that. And, and I'm going to talk that kind of faith. That's going to stir up people in this community. You know, why they think they got a bunch of apostles. And, you know, you all know what I'm talking about. All the religion will, will come out after it. But that's all right. It's all right. God will take care of religion. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of the apostle. Thank you, God, that you have put in our lives personally men who have apostolic gifts. Thank you for the apostolic ministries that have come through this church, that have prophesied over us, that have seen things, that have spoken into this region and area. We thank you, God, that we'll be attentive to the apostolic. We'll be attentive to the gift of the apostle. We thank you. We thank you, God, it's alive and well today. Lord, we just pray, teach us more. Teach us more about the gift of the apostolic. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.